0: pray, let's let's ask the Lord that, or let's rather, let's ask the Holy Spirit to infiltrate our heart and not let what it is he wants to say just kind of ricochet off our heart. I don't know about you, well, let me ask, how many of you kind of grew up in church or grew up around church? Right, okay, a lot of us, a lot of us. We have a tendency to interact with the scripture in a way where our mind or our human nature says, you know, I kind of know that story. I've been in church a lot. Am I really going to learn anything new? And I don't know what the Holy Spirit wants to teach you. I, I'm honored today to be able to present what the Holy Spirit is doing in my life in relationship to this text, but I have no idea what the Holy Spirit wants to say to you. But I do know that the enemy doesn't want you to interact with what the Holy Spirit wants you to say. wants to say to you. And so it's incumbent upon us as followers of Jesus to come and invite the Holy Spirit to navigate the inner workings of our heart and not just let the truth of his word ricochet off our heart. So let's come before the Lord and call on the Holy Spirit to move in our lives so that when we walk out those doors we go just a little bit different than the way we came in. Sound sound okay? So Lord, that's our prayer. I mean, we we identified it. We asked that As we look in your word and as we interact with the text as we think about all the baggage we have just as people the things we've said the things we've done the way we think the things that have happened to us our philosophies our worldview all those things lord we present to you and we we ask that you would work in our lives that we would hear you we love you lord we're reminded from your word that we love you because you love us first and so we're thankful that we get to be together here today at this church to celebrate to reflect and to worship you in how we sing and how we process your word we love you in jesus name amen yeah so i met israel gosh i don't even know what year it feels like forever ago. i don't think it was that long maybe six seven years ago Wait, that is kind of a long time. At a, at a camp. He was at his former church. He came bringing his youth group. I had the opportunity to speak there, and we hit it off right away. It was right about the time that I was planting a church with my wife in South County. And, uh, and then we hit it off, and you guys started thinking and dreaming about planting a church. And then ours utterly failed and died. And it ripped our hearts out. And theirs is being birthed. <laughs> and so we uh, are, are glad just to see how God uh, is working with you guys and to be here. I think I got to be here a year ago, right? And, uh, and see some new faces and see some old faces. And so I'm just glad to be here with you today. I want us to turn to uh, Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 12. What I'd like to do is read the text, and then we'll kind of go through it together and see what the Lord has for us. We can go ahead and start uh, the little slides there, and I'll tell you when I'm ready to move on so you don't jump ahead. Does that sound okay? All right, so let's look at Mark 2, 1 through 12. I'm reading out of the ESV, in case you were curious. The words are different. And when he, talking about Jesus, returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door, And he's speaking the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let let him down on the bed. The man who, you know, I read that sentence so bad. Let me read that again. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above them. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. I love it, I love it. I love it for a lot of reasons. Uh, The first reason, uh, selfishly and quite honestly, is uh, I was in a little play in my private Christian school where I got to be the paralytic in this story. And it was awesome. I was like seven years old. I I grew up in uh, South America, my parents were missionaries. And I went to a, a really conservative, really, really legalistic conservative school. This was a big deal that they're gonna let us do a little drama, you know, a little drama for the kids. Anyways, I got to be the paralytic, and I always remember this story uh, because of that. But even deeper, even more, I love this story because of all the nuances that are in there. And it's a pretty graphic story, or at least graphic with detail, according to how Mark tells the story. Luke tells the same story. And he doesn't do half as good of a job. It's just like there, Jesus was teaching, some dudes couldn't get the guy in, so they like lowered him in there, and Jesus forgave, their, gave, forgave the guy's sins. It's like not that big of a deal to Luke, but to Mark, this is a pivotal story. To Mark, this is like one of the first miracles he wants to tell. I mean, it's in chapter two of the whole gospel. I love this story, and I want to unpack it for us. I first want to show you this picture. This is Capernaum. Let's go to that that uh, picture there. Okay, there's three pictures. Capernaum, we see that Jesus, it says that Jesus went home, that it was discovered he was home. And some of you may be thinking, well, I thought Nazareth was his home. I mean, that's where he was from. That's where he was born. Now, that's true, but if you remember that the people of Nazareth were like, and I'm, I'm using the what I call right now the RSV, it's the Ryan Standard Version, You need to double check it with the scripture and it's in total Ryan language, okay? So I'm paraphrasing, but the dude the guys basically said to Jesus, Yo, there's a whole question about how you even came to be, Jesus. Like your mom claimed to be this virgin and your dad was a carpenter, and now you're here doing these miracles and you're trying to tell us what's up. I don't think so. We know the whole drama, the whole story behind your birth. We know what you come from. There's no way you're gonna teach us anything. You, wor- you work with wood, at least that's what you're supposed to do, stay in your lane. They were so upset with Jesus, and Jesus said, I guess it's true, uh, a prophet is not really a prophet in their hometown. So he decided Nazareth is no longer going to be my home base, Capernaum's going to be my home base. Now, I've gotten to take, uh, uh, go to Israel twice, one to prepare to take a tour, and the next one to take and lead a tour that my wife and I led. In fact, if Branches Church ever wants to go to Israel, I'll lead it. That'll be awesome. We can co-lead it, right? Okay, it's done. So just work it out, and then we'll go. Okay. Capernaum is near the Sea of Galilee. I love it. When you walk into Capernaum, you see the sign that says, Sorry, I'll stay, I'll stay over here. Stay over here. Uh, Capernaum, you'll see the sign that says the town of Jesus. It's where Jesus made its home base. Jesus did a few miracles there. Whenever Jesus would travel around the region of the Sea of Galilee and have said that he would go home, it is in this place, Capernaum. This word Capernaum is a powerful word. You know, the last part of the word, it says Nahum, or it should. Capernaum is how you actually say it. The last part, or even even the Old Testament minor prophet Nahum, it means comfort. Copper means village. This is a village of comfort. And I just love that to even think that that's where Jesus set up home base, is that Jesus would set up home base in the village of Comfort. I'll let I'll let you work that out about what that can mean for you. It's on the it's on the coast of the Sea of Galilee. It's where Peter and James and or yeah Peter James John and Andrew were fishing when Jesus is walking along the shore and he sees the dudes and he says, Hey, I will make you fishers of men. It's right on the coast. This is a picture that I took, the, 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 top, the top one up there at the boat in the water, the obvious one that's on the water there. Uh, that's at sunrise. Uh, and, and, I, and I love that picture, especially with that kind of boat. It's a, it's a modern-day fishing boat, but um, in my mind, it's the same ones they had, you know, thousands of years ago. And just imagining what it was like. That's the sea that Jesus walked on. That's the sea that would be extremely stormy. I can get into the. Do You want to know why it gets stormy? It's super fun. Let me tell you. You see that mountain range? It's the, the Sea of Galilee is lower in elevation. It, it's, it's under sea level, actually. And so when the winds would come up over that mountain range, it would fill that water. And, uh, and we were there for a storm once, and there literally are waves that get to three or four feet in the middle of, the, the middle of that lake. It's crazy. So you can imagine the fear that they would have. This house, this is a house on the bottom there. Do you see that? That's uh, Peter's mom in law's house. Do you remember Peter's mom in law had a fever? Do you remember this story? And Jesus healed her. Do you remember that? So that's kind of the house. All that's in Capernaum. So Jesus arrives in Capernaum, he's home. And he's a pretty big deal by this point. By this point, it's been about six or seven months that Jesus has been doing ministry. He did that one miracle, his first miracle, where he turned water into wine. He's healed a dude that had a jacked-up hand. It was withering and dying, and Jesus healed that hand. Jesus has been speaking about the gospel, about the good news of his life, his soon-coming death, and his resurrection. He's been talking about the power of God and the kingdom of God. He's been hanging out with complete sinners, and he picked 12 dudes that have zero education to follow him. And he is this big deal. People know Jesus, and we discover that as he gets to Capernaum, when he gets into Capernaum and he's at home, there are three groups of people there. We discover in the text that there are three groups. The first group that we discover are people that want to be healed. They, they don't know, we don't know, as the reader, if they actually believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We don't know, but we do know is that they believe he can do something, <laughs> that he can heal and do something. And so the house is filled with people who have diseases, who, can't, who, who potentially can't walk, who, whatever their ailments are, they're filling that house. They want to receive something from Jesus. That's at least one group. We know that there's another group of people there that really believe Jesus is all that he has been saying he is. They've seen his miracles, they've heard his teachings, and they fully believe him. And then there's this third group of uh, people, who scribes and Pharisees. These are the people that want to come and hear Jesus, but they really don't believe him, they don't trust him, they don't like him, and they want to hear what he has to say so they can trap him and hurt him. The skeptics. Three groupings are making up this house and they're filling the place. And Jesus is there and he's teaching and he's teaching the kingdom of God. Luke tells us specifically that he's teaching the kingdom of God. The good news that God has come in the form of Jesus to change their life. That Jesus is God's son who's come to take away the sin of the world. And this is all happening in the village of comfort. I want to show you this next picture. It's it's coming. I love this picture. This is right outside Peter's mom-in-law's house, right outside the tabernacle. This is on a stone that's probably the size of this we will serve the Lord um, frame, It's discovered to have been made during uh, the time of Jesus, but that same century, the first century, and we assume that it's after Jesus resurrected. I love this picture. It's filled with meaning, and I want us to look at it for a second. Uh, What do you see? What do you see in this picture? Anybody can tell me. Pillars. Okay, so we all see the pillars, right? What else do we see? We see a door. What do we think the pillars and door are? What would that look like if you had to imagine? A tabernacle? If you were in, it, what's fascinating is if you go, if you ever go to Capernaum, you'll see the tabernacle, the old tabernacle, it has those pillars and it has that door. So if you're there and you see this and you look over to the right, you're going to see the same building. But what else do you see that makes this picture just amazing? Say what? Wheels. Do you see the wheels? Do you see the wheels? Wheels on the bottom of a church building. Wheels on the bottom of the Christian gathering space. What does that tell you? The church on wheels. What does that communicate to you? In fact, do you know what the word church actually means? Do you know? It has two meanings. It means assembly gathering place, and it also means called out. Assemble to be called out. The church is a place where people assemble to go out. And in the first century, right next to where this miracle happens that we're going to unpack, is a building that shows that even the earliest Christians understood that the church is not a place where you just meet and go home. The church is a place that it gathers to go be called out so that when we say don't, don't do church, go be the church, we're in line with what the early Christians thought. Don't you love that picture? I love this picture because it's right next to the house that got the roof ripped off of it. So Jesus comes. There are three people there, or three groups of people there, And people want to get his attention. Now we can go to the next slide. There there are four guys. And these four guys are moved with passion and conviction that Jesus will do something. They don't know what it is, but they know he's going to do something. They have such compassion for their friend who cannot walk since birth that they will do whatever they can to get their friend in front of Jesus. There will be no barrier that will stop them from getting their friend in front of Christ. These guys have so much conviction that if they can just get their friend in front of Jesus, Jesus will do something. And this is what I want to be as a believer. I want to have that same passion and that same conviction that I don't bring Jesus to the environment that I don't go into my city, that I don't go into my neighborhood with the attitude that I'm taking Jesus because I'm the Christian, but that I go into an environment to say, I want to do whatever I can to get my friend in front of Jesus because I believe God's already at work there. Here's the reality. The place you live right now, what's the street name? Put it in your head. You might have thought that was a real estate decision. To the Lord, it's a discipleship issue. I live on Air Porter Way. It's where God is already at work. It's where God placed me so that I can, ha- I can work to help people meet Jesus. These guys are absolutely convinced. I don't know what Jesus is going to do, <laughs> but if I can just get my friend in front of Jesus, if I could just do that, Jesus will do something. So they ripped the roof off the place. And could you imagine what that would be like? (laughs) Could you imagine? Could you imagine hosting a party with like a super popular person, and they come to the house, and they're sitting in the place of honor, and all your friends are there, and they're friends, and there's no more space, and you're thinking, this place is a mess. I hope they don't ding the walls. I hope they don't scratch the furniture these people are here. I feel so honored. This guy is here who I love, who I think is a really powerful person, and I can't wait for him to to share, and all these people are going to hear, and all of a sudden you start hearing footsteps on the roof. And all of a sudden you start hearing, or you look up, and, and the plaster from your ceiling starts to fall in. And then all of a sudden a hole is made, and four faces look down at you. I know my personality. I'd be like, Yeah, I'm suing you. You're going to fix that. And who's cleaning up this mess? Probably my son. I'd make my son do it. They open up the roof and they lower this guy in front of Jesus. Why? Why did they rip the roof off the place? They ripped the roof off the place because they know three truths. Three truths about Jesus. I want to be a roof ripper. That's going to be hard to say today. Roof ripper, roof ripper, roof ripper, r- I can't. I want to rip the roof off the place. I want to rip the roof off Orange County. There's a lot of distractions. There's a lot of things that are keeping people from being in front of Jesus. I want to rip the roof off the place so that my friends, my neighbors, my community can interact with Jesus and, and decide for themselves. And so there are three truths that roof rippers know about Jesus. Let's look at the first one. The first one here is in uh, verse 5. And this is crazy. Well, let's start at 4. When they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Okay, like you have that mental picture, right? You have the sounds. You have the picture of what that would be like. I mean, let's not romanticize it. it. Like, Things were falling on people's heads, most likely. This house just got wrecked. Like, so they lower the guy down, which would have been unreal to see. Four ropes, I'm imagining it's four. I don't know, I'm not really like good with that stuff. I'm a communicator, not like a figure stuff out like that stuff. So they lower him down and now he's laying right in front of Jesus And there's this entire crowd, and they want to hear what Jesus has to say. And Jesus says this. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, this is verse 5, Son, your sins are forgiven. Say what? Like, that is not what I would be expecting to hear. (laughs) Could you imagine? Could you imagine you have never walked your entire life? You've never walked. People have had to carry you everywhere. Restroom, food, go outdoors, a little mini vacation, right, to go visit your parents. They're either coming to you or you're going to them. And if you're going to them, they're taking you. Someone's got to take you. You're fully dependent on every single person. You can't function by yourself, really. Your friends have then decided that they're going to rip the roof off the place to put you in front of this healer. Because the word's out in the town that he can heal people. So they rip the roof off the place, lower in front of Jesus, and Jesus looks at him and says, what? Your sins are forgiven. That is the farthest thing from my mind. Would you expect to hear that? Who would expect to hear that? No one. It's fascinating. But what we know as roof roof rippers is that Jesus loves people. Jesus loves people. He loves people. How in the world is forgiving someone's sins show that he loves people? It shows us that he loves people because Jesus sees past your practical needs and sees your spiritual need. The dude needed forgiveness more than he needed healing, didn't he? I mean, the sad reality of life is the guy could get healed, never have been forgiven, and live eternity separated from God. Every time Jesus does a miracle is to prove that he loves people. Every time. Every time he does a miracle is to prove that he has the power. But what can't be lost on us is that these guys know the truth about Jesus and that Jesus loves people. And meeting the spiritual needs is way more important than meeting the physical needs. And only Jesus can do that. Jesus loves people, He loves you. He loves you just the way you are. I know Billy Joel sang it Don't Go Changing to Try to Please Me. You know that song? Love You Just the Way You Are. I celebrate his entire catalog, so feel free to ask me any Billy Joel song. Jesus loves you just the way you are. He knows what you're going through. He sees your brokenness. He knows your dreams. He knows your hopes. And we get so caught up in our immediate physical needs, don't we? If Jesus, if you would only solve my financial problems, Jesus, if you would only fix my job situation, Jesus, if you would only, you fill in the blank with all these things that at the end of the day matter not in comparison to where your heart is with the Lord. And a roof ripper knows that Jesus loves people. And if you would just rip the roof off the place and do whatever you could to get your friend in front of Jesus, your friend would have an opportunity to discover that God loves them too. The sad reality is that most people don't think they're a kid worth having. Sin has beat you up, tied you up, and made you feel like an epic loser. I know I struggle with that all the time. And it, and it incapacitates you. And it incapacitates your friends. And you feel like you're lame and you can't walk and you can't move. And if Jesus would just fix your situation, everything would be better. And friend, no, Jesus wants to fix your heart. And he does that by forgiving your sins. A roof ripper, a roof ripper knows that Jesus loves people just the way they are. Well, there's some people there that are not going to have that. I mean, whenever there's good news, it's good news because there's really, really bad news first. And the bad news that these people are living under is that they've got a lot of behavior modification they've got to do. They got to give a lot of money to the temple. They got to follow over. Now, if you're like a strict Jew, you've got to follow over 410 rules. Like I can maybe follow three. And if you don't follow those rules, then you can be rendered unclean. You can be rendered like you have to be kicked out of the community for a while. You got a bunch of stuff you got to do. There's a bunch of things you got to kill right? Like an ox or a dove or goat. you got to buy that thing. you got to have that thing killed. you got to be cleaned with blood. It's like all this stuff you got to do. That's really bad news. But Jesus is there to bring the good news. And the good news is that he forgives sins and the guys who like pr- promote bad news are upset about it. Let's look at this. Verse 6. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there. Now, do you know what scribes are? The difference between scribes and Pharisees? Okay, so Pharisees keep the law. The scribes are the guys, only guys, that would take the law and they would write it down. So let's say I have this book and this book is getting old or that community over there needs a book. And so a scribe would take it and write it down and write it again. That's what a scribe did. They, just like, like the court reporter in, the, in, in, a, in, a, in a courtroom. So the scribes are there, and they know the law really well because they got to write it all the time. They're sitting there, and they start questioning in their hearts. Why does this man, Jesus, speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Verse uh, 8, And immediately Jesus perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves He said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? Now, I love this because Mark points out a really important detail. He points out that the scribes are sitting. Did you notice that? The four guys that believe Jesus can do anything are the ones with all the action, right? They went, they found their dude. They found their friend, they picked him up, they carried him, they took him up a staircase to the top of the roof, they created an opening, and they lowered the guy. We know that there's a, uh, the room is full of people, so it implies that they're standing room only and people are standing. But Mark makes it pretty clear that the scribes are sitting. And that posture is important for us to notice, because you know what? Roof rippers don't just sit and wait for Jesus to do something. Roof rippers do whatever they can to get their friends in front of Jesus and then watch Jesus respond. These scribes, these doubters, these people who just wanted to accuse Jesus, are just sitting there. And in my mind's eye, I don't know why, I just, it's, it's not in the Bible, we don't know, but I just imagine that they're sitting there with their arms crossed and they hear Jesus have the audacity to say, what right does he have to forgive their sins? it has totally been lost on them that the guy can't walk totally lost on them totally lost on them that their friends are so full of compassion for their for this lame guy that they'll do anything anything to get him in front of Jesus and it's totally lost on them that they believe that Jesus has the power to heal all they're concerned about is the language Have you met people like that? I grew up in that kind of environment, so I kind of, I really get it. The the legalistic environment where it doesn't matter, like, what you do if if you don't say the right things. But these roof rippers know this truth about Jesus that's revealed here. The same truth that we need to know about Jesus. And it's that Jesus knows people's hearts. We can do that next one jesus knows people i love this point and it's something really 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 profound we need to wrestle with no matter what you do not know the heart of man you don't y- you might not even know your heart completely but a roof ripper knows that jesus knows the heart of people and we we see that because he knows the heart of this man who can't walk his four friends, and he also knows the heart of these scribes who are looking for any reason to destroy Jesus. You know, sometimes when we tell our friends about Jesus, when we, when we take up a task to evangelize or to walk our neighborhood and ask people if they want to know the Lord or if we can talk to them about the Lord, however the Holy Spirit works in your heart, we have this tendency to make it all about us. Right? Or am I the only one? that like has that tendency. You know, like I'm going to share my faith with someone and if they, or about Jesus with someone, and if they reject Jesus, then they're rejecting me and I'm not sure if I want to lose that friendship yet. Like it's all about me. Right? Have Have you experienced that feeling? The reality is all I can do is get people in front of Jesus. That's all I can do. I can't change their hearts. I can't change their minds. I can't be persuasive enough. It's the Holy Spirit only. In fact, one of my most favorite stories about this is when Paul is walking through uh, 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 Philippi. And there's this lady named Lydia. And Lydia just makes a bunch of purple things. That's what we know about her, purple everything, basically. And she doesn't know about Jesus, but she, she believes that there's a God. And as Paul is speaking, the word says in the Bible that as Paul is speaking, the Lord opened her heart. The mental picture in that phrase, that's in Acts chapter 17, when the holy, when when God opened up her heart, the word that's created in there from the Greek, because Greek is a picture language, is almost this picture of a stuffy house that the windows had been flung open and fresh air can come in and rejuvenate the place. And I love that picture. And that's only the work God can do. You can't open someone's heart. You can't. You cannot. The Holy Spirit does that job. And what a roof ripper knows is that God knows their heart, he knows your heart too. God knows what they're struggling with. God knows what their questions are. God knows what their disability, their their spiritual disabilities are. God knows their sin. God God knows, God knows, God knows, God knows. You don't. And it's not your job to say, well look, that person who needs to have an audience with Jesus, I'm just not sure they're ready. No, that's not up to you. I would tell my friend about Jesus, but I don't want to lose any relationship because they seem really angry about Christians' things. That's not up to you. Your job is to grab a corner of that freaking stretcher, Climb up to the top of the roof and make an opening so that your friend can be in front of Jesus and then let Jesus and your friend decide. And a roof ripper knows that God knows their heart. And he knows yours too. There's a verse in 1 John hanging out in around chapter 4 or 3. It's just coming to me now so I don't have the address but the verse is this, and you can find it with any kind of Google search, that God is greater than your heart, and when your heart condemns you, he's greater than that. Don't you love that? How many times has your own heart condemned you? I would just, I want to do this, and I want to follow Jesus, but, and then your heart's just condemned. Yeah, but I remember what you did last week, or I remember what you said, or you're not really a good Christian, you don't even know where the Bible verses you're just talking about, right? Whatever the thing says. It starts to condemn you and smash you down, and scripture tells us God is bigger than your heart. A roof ripper knows that God loves people, and a roof ripper knows that God knows their heart. I had an opportunity to go to South Sudan. I, I, uh, I have uh, work kind of when I have the time, I get to go to Africa quite a bit. In fact, the last 18 months, I've gone over like nine times working with refugees from Sudan and South Sudan. There's a guy named Thomas there that is about 6'6", six, six, and I've got a major man crush on him. He loves the Lord like I've never seen anyone love the Lord. This guy's amazing. Well, we were in South Sudan, and our bus broke down on the way to where we were going, and we're in the middle of nowhere, the middle of nowhere. Like you could, like, you could barely find it on a map right now. And we're on our way to do some training for some, some people out in, the, out in the what they say in Africa, out in the bush. Our, tr- our van broke down. Our bus broke down. And we're all waiting to be picked up, and it starts getting dark, and we begin to discover that uh, two, two issues with it getting dark. One is there's been known rebel activity there, and me and my friend are the only foreigners there, so we're kind of concerned about rebel activity. And also when it gets dark, then the lions come out, and... I only like lions when they're behind cages at the San Diego Zoo. So we decide we're going we're gonna to hitchhike, stand on the side of the road, end up get, getting picked up by a guy who's an extreme Muslim. He picks us up because, according to Islam, you have to do kind to people, and he's proselytizing the whole time, telling me and my friend why Jesus is not the Son of God and why I need to turn to Islam. Uh, a, a very similar thing that we would do to, to other people about Christianity. I got to experience it on the other side because I've never really been witness to. I've been a Christian since I was three or five. Uh, we get to where we're going and it's dinner time and, Tom and uh, Thomas and I are eating and Sa- uh, Salah was his name, he comes and wants to talk to us and he wants to convert us. And as he's talking, Thomas is listening and listening to him. And then Thomas says, Hey, I, I want to ask you a question. And he pulls and he pulls him up here. Let me let me he does this. He does this to Saleh. He pulls him up and he says, This you are a good person. And I know God loves you. Jesus Christ loves you. Just come to know him. Just come to know him. He thinks. I got a free hug. <laughs> I bawled my eyes out. I've had Mormons come to my door, and you know what I do? Oh, gosh. <laughs> they knock on my door, and I look to the people. Pfft, I'm not going to talk to them. never going to change their mind anyways. Or, you know what? I hope the Mormons come, because I went to a training, and I've got seven verses that they can't answer. <laughs> But never, never have I opened the door and grabbed one of them by the face and said, I want you to know that I believe you're a good person and that God loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you through his son, Jesus Christ. Would you just come to know him? Roof rippers know that only God knows their heart and he asks me to do whatever I can to remove any barrier so that they can have an opportunity to know Jesus. Thomas taught me what it means to be a roof river. Verse 9. So Jesus, he's like, knows what's in their heart. So he's like, says to them, Guys, guys, why are you asking this question? And then he says this Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed? and walk." Now, so I'll ask you that question. Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise and walk? Which one's easier? Who says rise and walk is the easiest to say? Who says your sins are forgiven is the easiest to say? I think your sins are forgiven are the easiest thing to say in the world because you don't have to prove it, (laughs) right? I mean, Jesus could say, well, so which one's easier? I said your sins are forgiven. You guys are all bent out of shape that I said that, but you can't prove that I can or cannot do that. Right? Because it's internal. It's spiritual. You guys are all bent out of shape that I said that, but I want to prove to you that I can do that. And I'm going to prove to you that I have the power to forgive sins by saying, hey, dude, get up, take your bed, and go home. Because if I say that, and he tries it, it better happen. Because if it doesn't happen, I'm going to look really dumb. <laughs> right? I mean, could you imagine saying to someone, hey, hey, you're, you, uh, you should get up. You, you, I, I know you can't walk. Get up and take your bed and go home. And you try for like 30 minutes and you can't make your legs strong. It's like, this guy, Jesus, he, he's full of it. He has got nothing. He can't do anything. The guy, he just said get up and walk. The guy can't do it. Do you understand? And so Jesus is making a powerful point And what roof rippers know is the third point, that Jesus heals people. Jesus heals people. And the fact that he has the ability to heal people physically shows us that he has the power to forgive you your sins, which is the real healing anyways. Your friends need healing. You may need healing. Maybe physical, probably emotional, most certainly spiritual. And a roof ripper knows that if you can get your friend in front of Jesus, and Jesus can interact with your friend, that Jesus has the power to heal them. And it's their faith that does it. It's their faith that Jesus can do it that allows Jesus to perform this healing in their life. But we've got to get out of the way. We're not responsible to heal someone. We're not responsible to convince them. We're not responsible to do any of that. Friends, we're responsible for one thing, to be two things, to be moved by compassion for our friend, for our neighbors, for our community, for our family, to be moved with absolute compassion for them and the belief that if they interact with Jesus, Jesus can do something. He's the one that loves them. He's the one that knows their heart, and he's the one that can bring true healing, true, profound healing. I had a neighbor... Her and her husband. Our kids were around the same age. This is a while ago. My kids now are, my daughter is 16, our daughter is 16, and our son is 20. They were like seven and four. And they just go down the street, a couple houses, and then hang out at the street down there. And all of a sudden, Tyler comes back. And any of you parents who have a seven-year-old that comes back with those huge tears that are just like building here, until you talk to them and then they just flow down their face, want to hurt whoever made that happen. (laughs) And my son came home and starts crying and says, I'm not allowed to play with Jonathan anymore. And like a good parent, I say, why? What'd you do? And he said, the mom said I talk about Jesus too much. I'm like, well, good in my mind right I'm like good and then he says the most profound thing that um, we lose when we get older (laughs) he said but it's all I know dad it's all I know gosh I want that don't you gosh you just talk about Jesus all the time I know it's all I know so I did the really mature thing I called and said hey so what's the story (laughs) I'm not going to go talk to her no way I've got I to use the phone. So I call down five houses. Hey, what's the story? And she goes, yeah, you know, because of our faith, we just don't want to hear about Jesus at all, talk about Jesus. She, he talks about Jesus all the time, and we just don't want anything to do with that. And, and I'm, Okay, all right. Now I'm a pastor at the time, but that doesn't, uh, you know, so I'm embarrassed to say that um, I spent the next year and a half not waving at them when I drove by coming into the neighborhood, and she'd be out watering the lawn and go like that, and I'd look away like, you have offended my family and my son, and if you don't want anything to do with Jesus and me, then I'm going to do what it says in Matthew, and take my shoes off and just dust them off at your door. I'm not going to have compassion for you. I'm not going to talk to you about that. I'm just going to be like, hey, fine, we have lying in the sand. So we're at church one day, And my phone starts ringing. Don't answer it. It's ringing again. I don't answer it. It's like not stopping. And so I finally finally go outside and answer the phone. And a neighbor had called. And this mom was out on the corner walking a dog when a drunk driver hit her and killed her immediately. And her whole family is there now at the scene. I had two thoughts immediately one of absolute conviction. That was so full of myself that I never even engaged with a conversation about what does it even mean to talk about Jesus. I just wrote her off. And two, Mindy and I said, we got to get there as fast as we can. So we got there, and the place was crazy. Police tape, police ambulances. She was in charge of the PTA of the local school, and everybody knew her, and it was a madhouse of people, and her husband Jonathan Sr. saw me, and Mindy, and he called me over. And I went below the tape, police tape, and I sat next to him as he bawled his eyes out. He just lost his wife. There's a pretty big crowd, and the police officer comes over, and he whispers in my ear and says, look, this is still a crime scene, and you're going to have to tell the family they have to say goodbye and leave. So I said those words. Jonathan had driven his car because he was looking for her and she hadn't come home from walking the dog. And he was looking for her and everybody else had walked to the scene. So Mindy walked everybody back and I'm going to drive him home. We get in the car and he grabs the dashboard and he screams, Please tell me there's a heaven and that she's there. And I thought, holy smokes, I didn't learn this in seminary. Like, how do you do this? How do I, how do I tell a guy, um, like, well, you've got to believe in Jesus Christ. as your personal first Lord and Savior. And if you don't do that, then no. I'm, th- this is not the time to have, like, a, a seminary-type talk, which I'm super, like, proficient in. But this relationship messiness, I'm not really good at right now. Oh, Lord, what do I say? What do I say? I want to rip the roof off this place and he's in so much pain. I said, there is a heaven and when you're ready to talk about that, we will, but right now we're just going to cry. I decided to check on him twice a week. One, because the Lord just was opening my heart to him. We had a shared experience for sure. And number two, he is one of those guys that doesn't know how to do anything without his woman, right? I mean, he only knew how to do salmon in the toaster oven. That's all he knew how to make. And he'd call me and he'd say, hey, my, my dryer's not working, and I'd go over and check his dryer, and he just didn't clean out the lint. You know, he just didn't, he's just that kind of guy, okay? <laughs> months and months I'm spending with him. I'm trying to rip the roof. I know that God loves him. I know that God sees his heart, and I know that God wants to heal him, and he's got so many issues. There are so many things crowding the space in his heart that he can't get to Jesus. Not just his religious background, but now he's angry, right? I mean, you could think of all of the issues. Months and months and months and months go by. He calls me up one day and says, hey, let's go surfing, (laughs) Okay, let's go surf at John. So we go surfing, and after he goes, hey, I want to I get some food. you want to go get some tacos? I said, sure. We go get tacos. We sit down. We've got our little number, and, uh, and we're sitting down, and, and uh, oh, no, no, we get our food, and, and he, start, he starts to take a bite, and before he takes a bite, he says, uh, so I want to know how to have, like, faith like you have, and he takes a bite, and now I'm stumped. I'm stumped. So I did the mature thing. I said, let me go get some salsa, like we'll get some salsa (laughs) and I start saying oh lord what do I say like what am I going to say what do I do I mean there's so many things like I, I, I do I get into the doctrine part of this do I get into like the four spiritual laws do like what verse do I use oh gosh I don't and I'm like start working myself into a frenzy right like I've got he's asked me a question I've got to prove to him I've got to like make a strong argument to him I've got to reason with him. I've got to, like, I got, and all of a sudden, I seriously felt like I heard the Holy Spirit go, horas- <selling> life- Ryan, I will tell you what to say. You know me, just talk about me. So I come back with my salsa, <laughs> and he's eating, and I said, Well, so what do you believe about Jesus? And then he starts choking on his taco. Okay. So we laugh, we get it over with, <laughs> okay? And he said, just tell me about Jesus. Just, could you just tell me about Jesus? Because I don't know. My wife is Jewish, I'm Catholic, I don't know any verses. I just shared about Jesus, and I just asked questions. And he says, well, I just have one, one reason why I can't be a Christian today. Just one I said, okay, that's good because I would have a lot of reasons why I I wouldn't want to be a Christian today. (laughs) I mean, right? I mean, uh, that's what I'm thinking. If I were him, and he said, no, I just have one. Just one. Okay, John, what is it? He said, I have to come to the reality that if I accept Jesus, that I'm going to heaven and my wife won't be there. And I don't know if I want to believe that, Now, I'm a roof ripper. I want to be. And so I believe that God loved his wife, knew her heart, and could heal heal her. And I also know that I have no idea what she went through before she passed. So I said, the only thing I knew how to say, and you can all disagree if you'd like, I said, look, I know that God is greater than our heart and that God speaks to our hearts. And he also knew the day that she was going to die. And if he tried to get her attention and she admitted in the quietness of her heart and even a moment that Jesus is the Son of God and that he died on the cross and rose again, then she's saved. And I don't know, John, if that happened in the quietness of her heart right before she, she passed. I have no idea. But I know that you now have that choice. And then I'm like ready to be left. Like, I'm getting my phone out, ready to get an Uber. Like, he's going to be mad, and he's going to go. And he goes, takes his napkin, and he goes, okay, I'm ready. How do I become a Christian? And I go, (laughs) um, and you guys, I'm so, at that time, was so churchified, so Christianized, I said, well, repeat after me. (laughs) So I said, just repeat after me. And I did this, like, sinner's prayer thing. And he's doing it, and then I said amen, and he goes, that's a good prayer and everything, but do you think maybe I could talk to Jesus by myself because he said I could? I said, yeah, yeah, why don't you do that's probably better. Jesus, he prayed, I'm a sinner. I love you. I have a lot of questions but I believe you're the son of God. And I want you to change my life and I want to be a better dad. And I hope Mary's there and if she's not, thank you for giving me a chance. Amen. And I'm trying to keep it together but I can't even keep it together telling this story. And then he goes, amen. And then he goes, whoa! <laughs> I go, I look, what happened? I'm like, what happened? Whoa! I said, are you okay? He goes, I feel joy. Is this like what you're talking about, this feeling of Christianity? Is this what you're talking about, that God just like changes everything? Wow. I wrote his wife and him off years ago because they didn't want to hear Jesus in their home. I don't ever want to not, I don't ever want to do that again. I want to be a roof ripper. Let's go to this last picture. Branches church. Roof rippers. Being the church. Ripping the roof off the Fullerton area because you believe that Jesus loves people you've written off and you know that Jesus knows the heart of every single person and you know that Jesus will heal them it's not about you it's about raising your hand and saying I'll do whatever I can to remove any barrier so that my community can meet Jesus. I want to be a roof ripper. How about you? So Lord, that's...